0: Today we're bringing you a special bonus episode with Noah Averback katz Star Trek Discovery actor and type 1 diabetic who just last week launched a Kickstarter for a dystopian short film called Type 1. The film follows a type 1 diabetic and his wife searching for insulin and other type 1 diabetic supplies in a post-apocalyptic world.
1: project was fully funded in eight hours and doubled its goal in 24. And a day later, Blue passed the first stretch of the goal. Never underestimate the power of the type 1 diabetes community. Today, we're talking with Noah about the project, his experience with type
0: 1 diabetes, and everything in between. So Noah, thank you so much for joining us for this special bonus episode.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. And I will say, I don't think anybody else... Other than a bunch of type ones would have caught the fact that it's not just insulin they're looking for, but also other type one supplies. (laughs) Everybody knows how important those are in the apocalypse as well. So I'm glad that stuck out as well. That was, that's a bit of an Easter egg for us.
0: I mean, if you're looking for insulin, you need a way to inject it.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, they don't know that, but we know that.
0: (laughs) So for our listeners who aren't familiar with you or your work, what is the most important or most interesting thing that we all should know about you?
2: I got married to someone named Mary Wiseman, who is much more attractive and talented than I am. Uh, We met at Juilliard in our graduate program, and uh, she is a series regular on Star Trek: Discovery, and was kind enough to let me join her for a season there. So, I would say that's the most—that's—that's what you should know about me is who my wife is. And what is your diagnosis story? It's so boring, you know, very boring. I was, it was the summer between freshman, you know, eighth grade and freshman year of high school, you know, all the, all the boring classic symptoms. They have an acronym now, which I never learned. I was losing weight, going to the bathroom all the time, always thirsty, went to the doctor, got diagnosed and was all downhill from there. (laughs) Very boring diagnosis story.
0: That's kind of unfortunate because we have a lot of guests who have these really great diagnosis mm-hmm, stories. Mm-hmm. We have a friend who the night before had participated in a s'mores eating contest.
2: Oh wow! <laughs>
0: we had one who was diagnosed at an alligator farm. I mean, they diagnosed
2: at the alligator farm.
0: Well, she collapsed at the alligator farm. Ah, uh,
2: I see. I see. No
0: alligators took a bite, but. That was where she basically figured it out.
2: Yeah, I think it was really dramatic for my parents and probably dramatic for me, but there was, there's just no good storytelling element to it. So maybe I'll have to invent one for the next movie.
0: Exactly. Make one up. <laughs> so how do you manage your type one?
2: So I use a G6 CGM for Dexcom and use insulin pens, Trageo, and... No vlog, I think currently, So, you know, it switches all the time. So who knows? But yeah, I, I, I was on a pump for many years and, and I'm now off that and did finger sticks for many years, but now uses CGM instead.
1: And then do you have like a favorite or like weird story about type one diabetes or like your life with type one diabetes?
2: Well, the story I always tell people is, you know, they ask how it like affects acting and stuff like that. And um, on my time on Star Trek. I had to wear a prosthetic mask, this big blue mask. And I was really worried they were going to put me in prosthetic gloves, which are like like Halloween gloves, but you can't take them on and off. They're like glued to your hands. And I was worried because I was on finger sticks. And I was like, man, I'm totally screwed because if they put them on, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do because I can't take them on and off and I won't be able to test me. I'll have somebody do it on my arm, but if I'm wearing a long jet, you know. So I told, I asked my wife, what should I do? And she's just like, talk to the costume designer. The costume designer's like, oh, that's fine. We'll just put you in black gloves the whole time. So my character, the whole time, you never see their hands because I'm wearing these black gloves in every situation. I'm eating breakfast in one scene. I'm wearing these gloves. And it's just so that I could do test my blood sugar and not have to worry about prosthetic gloves.
0: So along those lines, what is it like being an actor with type one? Like, how do you manage the highs and the lows on the set?
2: I mean, just like everything else with type one, it's a massive, just a huge, huge, huge You know, for a lot of my schooling, (laughs) for a lot of my schooling, I would just have these insane mood swings that I just thought were because I'm an actor, you know, and everyone's like, he's so crazy. He's so difficult. Why is he being so obstinate? And I was like, I don't think I am, but I also am acting that way. But I've never really seen myself as a particularly like obstinate or someone antagonistic person, but I am acting in that way. and. Maybe I just care so much about the art. That's what I always thought. And then recently I was like, what would happen if, you know, I I was doing a play and I was like, and during Star Trek too, I was like, what would happen if I just really, really regulated my blood sugars during the rehearsal and run of the show, right? So, you know, stuff, stuff that was, is not sustainable, nothing I would do in perpetuity, but just like eating very low carb, just, just having really, really tight, tight control for this very short section of time. And I got along with everybody. It was great. And I didn't get in any arguments, oh, the arts, whatever, we're just having a good time. So I would say that was what it was like, is realizing that I spent the first basically 30 years of my artistic career uh, completely thinking I was, you know, a artiste when I was really just at 271.
1: Happens to the best of us. (laughs) Oh, has a CGM or a pump alarm ever interrupted a scene while filming or something like that? Mm. Or how does that work exactly? Like say something goes off or you have to test is like everything stop or how does that work?
2: (laughs) Well... You know, if I'm doing a show where I have to be on stage like the whole time, then I just have to have like just crazy, crazy tight control for that day, right? So, like, basically, however many hours up until that, I just have to like hit that straight line and keep it going for like those, those few hours, which is, which is a pain, but it's not impossible. Again, not sustainable, but just for like the run of this thing. My, I was talking with one of my castmates a little while ago of a play I did when I first graduated from school. And she was telling me that she remembered, which I don't remember, but I do remember this, that I asked them that it was like a, a set in like a living room. We were on stage a bunch and it was my first professional show. So I didn't totally know how to navigate these things. And I asked them, I said, Hey, can you do me a favor and just like put some apple juice cans in, the, in this fake fridge for me, just in case, just in case something happens and I'm feeling it." I could just spin around and walk over and have an apple juice can. And she reminded me that during one of the runs of our show, she's doing her, you know, moving monologue. And I just got over, got up, walked over to the fridge and started chugging some apple juice while looking right at her, like nodding, invested in the monologue because I was, I guess I felt myself going low, but uh, so that's, that's, that's the best I've gotten so far in that realm.
0: You mentioned that your wife got you the part on Star Trek Discovery, but how did it end up being that particular character?
2: Well, gosh, how did it end up being that particular character? I had auditioned for the show a couple of times, and I think it just worked out. The timing worked out. The like type of character fit the type of character I could play. And yeah, I just think... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They just finally said yes. I just, I just kept showing up and they finally let me in the door. It's probably the truth. They felt, they felt, they, they, I don't know. They owed my wife something. So I got paid off.
1: <laughs> so, so far, what's been your favorite part about working within the Star
2: Trek universe? Oh, my favorite part. My favorite part. That's hard to say. I mean, it's gotten. It's just all been amazing, you know, to get to be on set and do do that stuff. I think anybody who is in a part of a fandom can imagine how fun it would be to get to be on that set, hang out with the people, and also get to, like, really do the thing and be in the show. And then the afterwards has been obviously so amazing, getting to meet all the fans and connect with them and participate and go to conventions and... You know, I think there's a really special thing in Star Trek of of these conventions and the fan actor uh, interactions that can be really meaningful for people. And I found it to be very gratifying to feel like I have the ability to, like, make someone's day by being nice to them. It's just an amazing feeling and something that, like, especially for the past three years is hard to come by, you know. So I've been really, really appreciative and really enjoyed that.
0: Have you been able to interact with other actors from the previous series? So like Jonathan Frakes, I know he's on the show.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, Jonathan directed two of my episodes. Um, Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so it was, I mean, it was amazing. Obviously I was freaking out. So I had met him before because I was up there with Mary. I was too nervous to say hi. So too nervous to ask for a picture. So Mary took a picture of me. I was sitting at a picnic table. And and my wife Mary's like, Noah, look at me, look over at me. So I look up at her and she takes a picture and it's Jonathan standing behind me and me looking at the camera sort of smiling like we got a fake picture together. So that was extremely embarrassing, but also amazing. And yeah, so I, I got to meet, Jonathan and work with him. And I was wearing this prosthetic, which was amazing because he couldn't see me blush the entire time and just have this internal freak out, which was great. And he was just so lovely to work with and such a talented director. I've gotten to meet a bunch of other people at the conventions. I just got to meet Marina Sirtis, who plays Commander Troy. And she is so much fun and such a total badass. And of course, everyone loves my wife. You know, that's sort of my whole pitch, really, of this entire thing. And so I get to meet everybody who's excited to meet her, which is great. And they've all been really supportive of the film, including Jonathan as well. The director of the film, Anthony Rapp, sort of shadowed underneath Jonathan on set. And so he's sort of been communicating and and getting some tips, which has been awesome.
0: So now that we're talking about the Type 1 film, what inspired you to create it?
2: I actually, I was, so I was doing a play in February of 2020, pre-pandemic in the old days. And um, there was a deaf actress in the show, an actor named Trishelle Edmonds, super, super talented. And she was just really gracious and open about sort of sharing her community with me, the deaf community, talking to me about it. And there was a couple other there was like other deaf consultants and and interpreters there, inter- interpreters there as well, and they were all just really gracious about kind of sharing their disabled community. And it really just got me thinking about the diabetes community and how challenging it is to create a community because there aren't really like centers. You know, there's no Gallaudet Diabetic University, and it's also an it's also if you choose to make it so generally like an invisible illness. So you don't really know who's out there sort of going through the same thing you are. And it just really got me thinking about creating something to engender community. Even if the project itself isn't really, it's maybe sort of about the darker aspects or, or the sort of, you know, the things that you fear the most, it's something that we kind of all share. And so it just got me thinking about that. And I had these long stretch. I played a dog in this play. And so I would have these 45 minute stretches just laying on stage, pretending to be asleep. And so I just think, blah, blah, blah. What can I do? And I thought, Hey, that's a really good idea. I should write that at some point. That's not a bad idea. And then like, fast forward to, you know, March 23, 2020, March 23rd, 2020. And, uh, New York is like a ghost town. Everyone's freaking out. And I'm like, well now I have to write this. You know what I mean? It's, I've got nothing to do and it's literally happening. So I I definitely need to write it right now. And so that was sort of the the beginning stages of this thing. So
1: I'm assuming you did a bunch of research on like survival stuff and about diabetes and the one.
2: Most of the research was actually more about like going into DKA. And less about survival because it is sort of trying to, it's, it's less like, oh, these people have been surviving out in the woods and it's more like you're making your way from one center to another. So a lot of it was, was I've been really lucky to never have gone into severe diabetic acid, ketoacidosis. That's why they have an acronym. But I, I reached out to a bunch of people on Reddit and people who I knew have had that experience to just try and get a sense of how intense and severe and painful that experience is. And obviously, like I've had moments where I've been very ill, uh, so it's not out of the realm of my complete experience. But yeah, that, that was actually sort of in terms of research where I wanted to really make sure I was on target. So that that's where he put it in and and you know the, it's not really a survival movie as much as it is like a travel movie as someone is is going going into DKA.
1: Oh, okay, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So what are what are some of the things like you kind of learned about DKA that most people might not know?
2: Well, I think I think if you've gone through it, you probably do know a lot of these things. I was, I was definitely surprised about how quickly it can go from bad to worse, especially if you've experienced it before. You really know it's coming and it's like, it it can go from zero to 60 very, very fast. And just the level of like physical pain that it causes, not sort of like general discomfort, but just how painful it sounds like it is as your, your blood begins to, turn. It just is like a really miserable, awful experience. (laughs) It really sucks.
1: I
0: don't think I've ever been in DKA. That's why I'm like, totally, really well controlled. So knowing that this is more focused on the DKA aspect, that makes me even more excited to watch it. Because if I had no access to insulin like this, I would be like, what do?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so. And I think like, You know, I think one of the questions we'll have about the character is like, has he gone through this before? Does he know what's coming? You know, does it even matter? But I think that the one universal experience is that everybody knows it's not good and it's not going to get better. Do you know what I mean? I I don't think that you need to have gone through it to understand that this is really bad news.
0: Oh, yeah. So what was the process like to get the whole project underway and recruit the other actors and the <sighs> production crew and then get it set up on Kickstarter?
2: Totally. Totally. Well, I wrote it. I sent it to my manager. And originally, the main two people were a brother and sister because I was too afraid to write my wife into it. And my manager said, what are you doing, Noah? Put a writer into this. Are you an idiot? So I rewrote it and made them a couple.
0: Then... I, mean, I said this up front, but we're... Uh, we're a, a clean podcast so no swearing
2: oh i'm sorry
0: <laughs> we'll have them bleep everything you've done so far but <laughs> if you could avoid that in the future that'd be
2: great uh, i absolutely will you get the authentic experience oh my god i'm sorry there's a bunch of parents and kids listening to this
1: yep all right put
2: this in hold on hold on all right you have to edit this in hey everybody i'm really sorry for swearing but this is really on colleen and jesse for not telling me so uh And I'm actually a very nice Jewish boy. I just do this for effect. So it's their fault, not mine. Now, gosh darn it, where was I? So then we were thinking about directors and we were sort of thinking about people who we knew, who had sort of done film. We know mostly theater directors and Anthony Rapp, who most people would know from as Mark in the original production of Rent or from Days Unconfused, Adventures in Babysitting, Twister, and of course, Star Trek Discovery. He had there's a long tradition in Star Trek of actors directing episodes, i.e. Jonathan Frank's, of course. And so he had started shadowing and had directed a couple of scenes on season four of Discovery, I think. And it was just a perfect fit. So I was really nervous and I sent him the script and he he was totally into it and just really excited to be a part of it. And it turns out like he's a total film guy. Like he went to film school and he is really interested in doing this stuff. So it was just sort of serendipity and then reached out to my friends who are producers and they got excited. And then, yeah, then just sort of like building everything up towards this Kickstarter with all the different rewards and all the work and all the ideas. And, and and then the work just continues now. I just got off a of producer's meeting before this meeting and there's so much work we have to do. Whose idea was this?
0: Yours. And as we're recording, <laughs> you're currently sitting at sixty-four thousand three hundred and nine dollars. So you are wow. within a hair's breadth of the we're second almost stretch there.
2: goal. I think we'll get there. We have how many, twenty four days, twenty-three days to go? Yep. Yeah, I think we're gonna make it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't have another stretch goal after sixty five K. I didn't think there was not a plan for this thing to, to get this high. This is not in the plan. You know, the plan was like I have two stretch goals. The second the first one will take a week or two, maybe it's a pretty, a pretty doable one, it took 10 minutes, and then the second one will take the rest of the time. And we'll get there. And you know, I haven't been like promoting it or anything. And, and it still has just been creeping towards that second stretch goal, at which point I I don't know what we're going to kind of do after that. I don't know.
0: That's because the whole diabetes community has been promoting it for you.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know. Yes. And you know, I, I will say, and I'm sure it's something that you guys will talk about. But, you know, one of the things I've really been struck by is, you know, obviously, a ton of Star Trek people have showed, showed up a ton of people I've interacted with a bunch of showed up. And I love that. And I love being a part of that community. But one thing I've really been struck by is a lot of the people who are larger backers, people who are really putting some weight behind this movie, are type one and type two diabetics who maybe Star Trek fans and found it because of this or who I've never interacted with before. And so it really is the the diabetic community showing up. And I think it really just goes to show to me, you know, what a vacuum there is in terms of community for everybody. And and in terms of of real representation, which is sort of the other thing that I'm interested in this film is that if you take the diabetes aspect out of this film, there's nothing interesting about it. It really is the front and center more so than the the characters. I think as, as much as i like to think they're interesting, the real story is about the diabetes and, and to have somebody behind it who is type one, I think is really exciting for the community because I don't think it's something we've really experienced before. And I feel really honored that people have supported me and, and, entrusted me with that and you know i could totally screw it up and the film could absolutely suck but at the worst that could happen is that somebody else will see it and say well i can do that better which is a win for the community
1: so as of right now what do you think is going to be one of the bigger challenges that you guys are going to have to face going forward
2: boy you know i've never made a movie before so everything seems like an insurmountable hurdle i have to be honest i'm like what huh we have to do what? This many people? Yeah, I don't know. You know, so I, I don't know. I think we have a limited timeline because people have other projects they have to work on, you know, Star Trek must continue. So we, we have, we don't have the luxury of a lot of time. My acting could really hold us back. That's a huge concern. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm sure we'll, we'll encounter plenty of things that I completely did not think about or plan for.
0: So you mentioned earlier that it it was fully, well, we mentioned it was fully funded in eight hours and you have no plans for it to be this successful this quickly. So what was going through your head when you watched that number tick up so fast on Kickstarter?
2: (laughs) You know, it was a, first it was a huge feeling of relief because we'd been working very, very hard on this Kickstarter, trying to make a really professional video, really trying to think hard about how we were presenting the project and putting ourselves out there, you know, me and my producing team and everybody involved. It was a huge feeling of relief that I wasn't sort of having going to have to like come to every single person I knew on hands and knees begging for a little, a pittance, you know, and that, that sort of all the connections that I had made and the people who I had sort of developed friendships and relationships with had really shown up. And then it sort of turned to, terror as I realized I was actually going to have to make the movie. <laughs> oh, no, I, this wasn't supposed to happen. I was just supposed to, you know, I did it. This is supposed to be it. And now I'm like, oh, gosh, I didn't think this far ahead. So, so, yes, it was those two feelings.
0: What would you like our listeners to know if they're hearing this before the March 24th, 2022 end of the Kickstarter campaign?
2: Well, I would say that go and check out the Kickstarter just to get a look at it. And regardless of where the funding is, I encourage you to contribute to sort of solidify your foot, put yourself, give yourself a stake in the community. You know, even if it's just a few bucks, get your name in the credits and really use this as a way to integrate yourself into the community and and stay in touch with it. You know, I have to remain accountable to everybody who backed. And it sort of makes everybody accountable to the project as well. So that when it comes out, you see it, you share it, you can talk about it, you can express your feelings in your own communities, you can share it with other people who maybe don't have the same understanding of type one diabetes as you do, or maybe who are looking to find a way into understanding more. So yeah, check it out and 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 get involved in, in, in some way. That's yeah, that's what I'll say.
0: Do you have any advice for the younger type 1 diabetics out there, especially the ones who might be trying to get into the entertainment industry?
2: Boy, any advice for the younger diabetics? Gosh, I would say if I were going to talk to my, my younger diabetic self, I would say to finding some sort of space or community somewhere where. And it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't really available back in 2003 or 2007, but it is now spaces where you can get support, advice, memes, jokes to just, just alleviate the, the extreme loneliness that comes with type one diabetes. I think is, is a worthwhile endeavor, even if it's a little uncomfortable. And sometimes it, I, I feel like diabetics, and Colleen, I, I'd love to hear your thought on this, have a really hard time meeting in real life because you're so worried <laughs> that the insane things you do to stay alive are going to be revealed to be absolutely insane and everybody else is doing them differently or right. And you do so desperately need your routine or your ratio or your correction to remain the same because if one toothpick is pulled out of the dam, it's all going to collapse. And so I, I found it very challenging a lot of the times to meet up in real life, because if somebody's at 130, and you're at 201, you just feel bad, and you can't afford to feel bad. You know, there's no room left to feel bad. You feel bad plenty. I don't know, Colleen, what do you think?
0: I just wrote an Instagram post about compare and despair and how it like comparing ourselves to other people is one of the most self destructive things we can do. And I think that's highlighted, especially in the type one community for the reasons you just said, if you meet another type one diabetic and they have, like you said, a number of 130 and you're in the 200s and you're thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? That can really be detrimental to your mental health.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was in a bar once in New York and just hanging out and there was like, like a group of, group of kids your age or ish. And, you know, it was me and my 30 something friends, but I saw that one of the younger women had like pump tubing and I just sort of went over and introduced myself and showed my CGM and, you know, we were just sort of comparing our numbers and she was at 276 and I was at 101. And I just remember the look on her face being like, I'm sorry, you know, and I'm like, look, I get it. It's impossible to stay regular at a bar, you know, it's like, I understand your hell, you know? So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I, Jesse and I met at diabetes camp. So Mm. I think we have a little bit more comfort with talking to other type one diabetics and meeting them in person just because we have that experience from growing up with the camp. But yeah, I mean, I do feel sorry for the people who feel like they can't talk about it to others because Mm -hmm. of that desire to compare.
2: Yeah. Anyway, that would be my advice. And then in terms of like, the entertainment industry, I, I think, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Everybody, you know, everybody sort of bring, well, you know, I actually had really good advice from a uh, an old mentor, Jim Houghton, who's passed away, but is really, was really a, a really great man. And he, I, 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 I went to him when I was in school and I, you know, what should I do with this? When I do a play, what should I do? Should I have like a form letter? I hand them. Should I, should I talk to the director? Should I bring it up in the casting? And he said, in the entertainment industry, and I think in a lot of jobs as well, so maybe it's applicable, like people just freak out all the time. They have meltdowns, they have their own stuff they're bringing to the table. And if you can handle it in a way that's not interfering with your work, then you don't have to bring it up with people if you don't want to. And if it is interfering with your work, then just know that there's plenty of other people working in this profession and in all professions who are not diabetics who also have things interfering with their work, if that's a disability or if that's just a bad attitude. You know what I mean? So I think that was kind of sage advice, which was to not feel like it's something that you need to, obviously, you know, for if there's like a legal reason you have to do it, that's not what I'm talking about, but like not something that you have to apologize for when you come into a room and not something you have to give away for free, you know? Sometimes you you can tell somebody and they come from a place of really wanting to help but are completely uninformed about how to help and can make your life a lot harder. Mm. Uh, so you get to kind of set the rules for how how they how people kind of interact and interface with you on that that stuff.
0: That is actually really good advice. I love that. So to wrap up, where would be the best place for our listeners to connect with you and follow you after they back the Kickstarter?
2: Sure, uh, you can find me on Twitter at n underscore a underscore k. And you can kind of just see all the different fun stuff I'm up to on there. And and in my bio is a link to the Kickstarter as well. Um, But if you search type one on Kickstarter, you will, you will find it there.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners and for sharing the Kickstarter. To back the Kickstarter and follow Noah, you can check out the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash n a k. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.